0: Well, hey, and welcome to episode 28 of the Gospel for Everyone podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Prismer, and I'm so glad you're here. Well, on today's episode, Jason, Josh, and I sit down and we discuss the Asbury revival going on right now in central Kentucky. We talk about God's sovereignty versus man's responsibility, and we even discuss the Calvinistic doctrine of Tulip. As always, if you've not yet listened to Sunday's message, I do encourage you to pause now, go back and do so, and then pick this episode up as soon as that is finished. Really, that's going to help make this conversation make a lot more sense to you. Well, without further ado, enjoy this episode. Hey guys, good evening. Hey, it is evening. Feels kind (laughs) of weird to say that since we always do this on on Monday mornings, but today is Sunday evening.
1: Yeah, a little bit different, but yeah.
2: But I'm proud of our people. Josh gave the instructions here, and we got several questions today. So everybody knew. Hey, they did. Get them in early tonight.
0: Yeah. Great Love job, it. team. Doing great. Uh, hey, let's talk about this thing going on in your guys' neck of the woods.
2: It is our neck
0: of the woods. In it is our neck central, of the woods. Central Kentucky. Yeah. This, uh, this Asbury Revival thing. You guys know anyone that's down there?
1: Actually, I do. Yeah. I actually do. I have a, I have a few friends. I've I've talked to people on kind of all sides of it. Um, I have a really good friend of mine who is a golf coach uh, down there. Coaches men's and women's golf. Um, Like one day in, I started seeing it on Twitter. So I just texted him, hey, man, you know me. I know you. Like we know each other. We've kind of suffered through for a couple years. And um, I was like, so be honest with me. He goes, hey, man, I have a kid who was an atheist, had a Muslim girlfriend. He gave his life to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I went. All right, good enough for me. You know, I was That'll like, if, if that was the one kid that gave his life over to Christ, I sold. Yeah. Um. I was uh, telling Jason, uh, I, I was reading an article, actually, just waiting for you guys to get here. And the whole thing started off with a chapel service. Mm-hmm. Right? So Asbury has chapel. You have to go like three times a week. So most people are, they, one of, some of the students are like, man, most people are sitting in there and they're scrolling on their phones. They don't want to pay attention. They just don't care about it. Well, the guy who's teaching the chapel service is a volunteer soccer coach, um, and it says he uh, gave a sermon on love and just talking about God's love and basically did the invitation. Hey, if you want to experience God's love, um, the love of a father, man, come down. Um, and he he said he got off the stage and texted his wife and was like, "Well." that stunk (laughs) he was like i'll be home soon so like the guy who preached the sermon that kicked off the the revival was like what a terrible sermon um he said there was like 18 kids like kind of huddled in the back kind of praying for each other yeah said they all started texting each other like hey you got to come back i know you were here but you got to come back experience this there's something happening so i just so encouraging you know as a guy who Teaches and preaches. You do feel that sometimes. You're like, that was awful. Mm-hmm. And here we go. Which makes me even think more now it's real. Right. Because right. The, the pastor was like, It was awful, guys. Yeah. I, yeah Sorry, there was no there was no two week production build
0: up trying to move to this
1: moment of thing bought your soccer coach
0: yeah and he yeah. the description that i read about the service right it's you know this two-hour service with a very simple gospel presentation and a little bit of worship turns into this massive like what are we on day 13 13 or something like that yeah it's pretty i mean yeah it's probably around 12 13 somewhere somewhere around that now um And it just seemed so interesting to me. The other thing that caught my attention, so uh, um, uh, shameful confession, the word revival for me like is very regularly off-putting. There's something about this, um, like what comes along when people use the word revival nowadays. And I know, again, maybe it was something different or means something different to different generations for me. And I know a lot of my peers, there is something that there's a check in my spirit every time I hear it. I feel like I've got to be on, like, on guard every time I hear that word. Um, I don't know what that is. Maybe it's just my own sin, but when I heard of it, uh, that's exactly what happened. And then I read the, this description. And I was like, "Oh, that seems really interesting." And I started digging into it a little bit more. And what what was shocking to me? So, yeah, obviously the no, right, no prep. It was just the chapel service, and now it extended for the, over the course of a few days, a couple of weeks now. The other thing is, I saw a video, a couple of videos. I mean, there's videos all over the place right. of what's going on, and um, what in my mind was mega church, haze, moving lights, loud music, all of the stuff that we would expect of a of a 21st century church. I was like, oh, that's not what they're doing. What mm-hmm. they're doing is they're sitting in an old chapel, like a, a ch- when I say the word chapel, I mean like chapel. It's like an old Southern Chapel, fits a few hundred people. There's a little balcony, Not doesn't fit much, much many people up there. There's a big old pews, the whole thing. And they are singing many times hymns and older songs. It's not a big production value. They're just worshiping. They're worshiping and then someone walks up with the Bible and they read the Bible and then they close the Bible and they walk off and they keep worshiping. And I was like, okay, this is something completely different than I would have ever conceived in my mind of like using this word revival. Um, So I I really am feeling convicted a little bit about that, but I think it's incredible.
2: Yeah, it's good. And may their tribe increase, right? Here's what we know about revivals historically. So you think about uh, there was two great revivals in the 1700s and 1800s, and it almost always starts with young people. It's like never forty year olds. It's always it's always young people. You think about the Jesus movement in the sixties. It was a bunch of young people that really started the West Coast and moved across the United States. So may their tribe increase.
0: Like we just want to see it happen more and more. They're making a movie about the Jesus movement. Did you see that? I did hear about that. Yeah, yeah. The preview didn't look half bad.
1: Told a buddy of mine was similar in age, and I was like, man, I hope they're getting whatever they need to get, and they're filling up on God, and then get out here and fight with me. Yeah. Because, like, I know as somebody who's in it, like trying to help pastor and move with people and walk with people and shepherd people and all the things that the world throws at them. I need more people fighting with me. Mm-hmm. So whatever you need in that chapel, in that room, get it, experience it, and then get out here and let's get to work. Mm-hmm. I was like, go fill up. Yeah, I was like, get extra yeah. for me, you know, in a way. I was like, because the world is coming. Yep. And like, you're going to need those reminders of, oh, yeah, God. Oh, yeah, okay, God, right? Um, And so I was just, that's what we were talking about. So I was like, man, I pray is genuine, and mm-hmm. it just sends them off into doing this work that we're doing just loving people
0: mm-hmm. yeah in an odd turn of events, I ended up talking to two people last week into last week who had graduated from Asbury two guests went to went to college there, and that essentially was a very similar sentiment that they they had shared it was like, hey, okay, what like this is incredible the other thing that was really a standout for me was um there was this moment that was caught on on video and again, all these videos are like not pro level i mean it's like someone holding their iphone up just trying to capture the thing and it was this um kid with uh, more of an atheistic worldview walks on stage and just starts confessing his sin hey here's what here's what i've been doing
2: (laughs) by the way that's always a key component of revival yeah revival always comes with confession and repentance so if those aren't if it's just the singing part and just the reading part, if there's not confession and repentance, it's never a real revival. So yeah. that right there should tell you that this is, oh, this is legitimate. That, yeah. takes, it, that takes it to the level.
0: It was very cool. Um, but yeah, essentially, their sentiment was exactly that. Like, this is incredible and I do hope this is a, a life-changing moment for a lot of people. And then I'm excited to see what happens next.
1: <laughs> yeah, because it is close to home. Like, no lie. Yeah. So it's 25 minutes from mine and Jason's hometown. Yeah. Yeah. The campus um, of the church I just worked at, they're first location broadcast location it's 10 minutes away from 15 yeah. minutes mm-hmm. so we knew a, a ton of those students volunteer like so like it is like literally when i'm saying home it is home right right i'm like us 68
2: it, baby us
1: 68 through the curves the palisades <laughs> like and it's a, like a two stoplight town like wilmore is not some big to do town y'all no. yeah like there ain't no airport in there they're flying into there ain't no restaurants there ain't no hotels in wilmore i don't think <laughs> no you gotta go to lexington for that so it is which of course is where god would show up and too right i was reading too just this generation that's had a lot happen and it's probably the first generation that is more so not followers of god and that god would start with them of course it's how god would act mm-hmm. right <laughs> because yeah. god it it doesn't make sense. Who are we to tell God right. how in which he can move? And that's been my posture is like, okay, hey, cool. If that's how the Spirit of God works, I'm all for it. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I'm not going to tell God how he's allowed to operate. <laughs> you know, I was thinking of the Romans text today when you were saying that, and I was like, that's what I've been thinking with this whole revival. I was like, okay, cool.
0: Yeah. Awesome.
1: I'm not going to be on the other side of God. No.
0: Yeah, right. And there's we to the, celebrate it. We'll receive it. hundred percent There's the segue too. Is like speaking of arrival. We're in Romans 9 today. <laughs> so let's talk about that a little bit. Um, Jason, first off, um, you're you hit the nail on the head um when you said like this is what some in our church have been waiting for. Like, this is the moment.
2: And I had, I think it was especially in the 11, there was there was probably two dozen heads that were like, uh-huh,
0: yeah, here we go. Let's do this. There was a guy in the eight that raised his hand. He did, yeah. He said, that's me. I've been waiting for this.
1: And we know it's true. We got a question. For sure we did. We got the first question we got was an email in July or <laughs> before we even started yeah. the series. Hey, what are you going to do about da-da-da-da-da, <laughs> Romans 9. And we were like, we'll get to that we'll get in... To that. Six months.
0: Yeah. <laughs> 28? Was yeah. this number 28? 27? Uh, Where are like we? That. 27 weeks. Uh, so great job. I mean, it is, you know, there's a reason we call this the hard news. And this is just the beginning, right? Like yeah. 10 and 11 have their own challenges. But uh, second week of Romans 9, I do think you did a great job of um, something that we always say is really, really important to us, which is... um. Not bringing our theology or our doctrine to the text, but but pulling, using the text to pull out doctrinal truths, which are really just truths, biblical truths, right? Rather than coming in with these preconceived notions of Calvinism or Arminianism and predestination, eternal security, like all these things. Um, We just want to look at what the text says. And, you I mean, you did that with a bunch, like a dozen texts Mm -hmm. uh, over the course of your your 40 minutes today. So, great job. Josh, you have any uh, standout moments that were helpful or impactful for you?
1: Again, I just really love uh, the two scriptures you use that have both the tension in there. Mm -hmm. Like, what do we do with that, with God's word that is before us to go da-da-da and? Like both of them are standing or staring at you right in the face. The second Timothy is always the one that's, that's got me. And so, um, yeah. So, and there was so many more you could have used, right? Like if people just wanted to start looking in their new Testament, uh, this week, you would come away with so many scriptures that speak to this. Right. Um, and so it's just a really, Again, I, I think that's why, again, so you, you ended with we're, we're trying to answer a question because we're uncomfortable, and that is so true. Instead of just us sitting in the tension, we want to, ah, somebody give me the answer for the tension. Um, I think we've talked about it multiple times. The older I've gotten and the more I read God's word, uh, the more uh, there are parts of it I, I just don't necessarily understand. Um, and I'm okay with that, whereas maybe in my younger days, I would have wanted to know for sure what is the answer. I believe this way, and now I'm like, man, God is just incredible, and I can be okay with that, and it doesn't change my call to follow him. And I think that's really for me too as a reminder is I'm still called to live this out. Brendan said it when we started Romans 9. Hey, like my call to go and make more disciples doesn't change whichever of the side I fall onto in a way. And so want to want to make sure I keep doing that. So at
2: 3.30 this morning, I shot straight up in bed and couldn't go back to sleep. But this text popped into my mind. We had talked about it a little bit earlier in the week, but I didn't put it in the message, but it just, I couldn't get it out of my head. So you're talking about the places where we see both God's sovereignty, his choosing, his will, and man's responsibility, our responsibility to respond, both of them being together in the same place. I thought about Paul's own conversion story. So in the book of Acts, chapter 22, Paul tells us his testimony, and he talks about what happened to him on the road to Damascus, and then he was sent to uh, Ananias' house, and here is Paul Telling his conversion story. Verse 14 of the book of Acts, verse chapter 22. It says, then he, meaning Ananias. So Ananias said to Paul, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous, wanted to hear words from his mouth. Like Paul got chosen. He was picked. God picked him before the beginning. Long before Paul ever knew Jesus, Jesus knew Paul. So God has chosen you. Then verse 15, it says, you will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. Now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away, calling on his name. So he chose him, but yet Ananias says, now your responsibility is get up. What are you waiting for? You can't just sit here and do nothing. Get up. What are you waiting for? be baptized, wash your sins away calling on his name. So the that was the thing that Paul had to do. So there it's again, you just see both of them stuck together and there's like you said, there's so many of them that we could have chose, but that one got me at 3:30 this morning.
0: Yeah, that's really good. It is it is a great example. And it's um, Paul's own story, right? I it, love that. Yeah, and you're right. You use two examples of where we see right, like line after line where we see the importance of both. Yes. Uh, God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. Yeah. But to Josh's point, if we just think of the stories, yeah. like if we just start reading, yeah. like w- with this filter in mind, <laughs> we're going to see them all over the place. Um, so I think that's a really important distinction. Um, like you alluded to earlier, uh, we have a bunch of questions. So let's dig into some of those. Um, the first is this, and uh, this might even help us clarify a little bit of some uh, uh, some theology or doctrinal um, thoughts here. So the questions question is this how would this take on god's sovereignty versus man's responsibility meaning what you shared in the mm-hmm. message this morning your your take how would this take um address the five points of calvinism in tulip so would you run us first through like give us tulip yeah. help explain for those who aren't familiar and then share some thoughts on how the way we taught this text in romans 9 reconciles with this this doctrinal idea sounds
2: great so for those of you who are unaware so. Uh, there's really two sides. Again, I said there's been hundreds of years of people trying to figure this piece out of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. There are really two camps. You got Calvinism and Arminianism. Uh, Calvinism um, is categorized by this thing they call tulip. So there's five main points of Calvinism. Um, actually, there's six. There's a thing called double predestination. We'll get to that in just a second. So you got tulip. So so the T stands for total depravity. So it's the idea that we are completely and wholly sinful in and of ourselves, that there's nothing righteous in us that would draw us to God uh, in any way. Um, so that's the T, total depravity. The U is unconditional election. And again, this is that God picks people before they do anything right or wrong. God chooses some for salvation, and here's the flip side that they that doesn't often get picked up. But many of the most ardent Calvinists are called double predestination, in other words, that God picks some for salvation and some for damnation. Um, and again, you ha- you have to. Some people want to dodge that, but if you believe one, you have to believe the other. If you're saying that only God can choose you for salvation, and God picks some, that by necessity would require that he is also then, by not picking others, he is picking them to not be saved. So, But that's the unconditional election. It's not based on what they've done. It's not based on any value that they offer. God isn't looking at their life. He's not foreknowing anything. It's not as if he sees how they're going to live and then chooses based on that or or has a future picture of faith in mind with them. He's just picking them seemingly arbitrarily. It is unconditional, has nothing to do with them. The L is, is for limited atonement. And what, what this means is in Calvinism that they would say, that Jesus did not die for everyone. He only died for the elect. So his death, his blood, his sacrifice is not open to all people. It is only open to the elect. His atonement is limited to those who are chosen. In other words, Jesus did not die for someone who will not come to faith in him. So that's the limited atonement piece. I is for irresistible grace irresistible grace. And that means if you have been chosen, you cannot say no. Like the grace, the pull, the call of God is irresistible. You if you are chosen, you will respond in faith to the grace of God when it is presented to you. You cannot you cannot not be saved. And then the last one is the perseverance of the saints. So this is what we Talk about when we talk about eternal security or assurance. This is perseverance of the saints. In other words, all who are chosen, all who have come to faith, will will always be in the faith. They will persevere to the end. Uh, nobody who is called will lose their salvation in any way. So that's the perseverance of the saints piece. So the question then becomes: How did what I taught today? How does that fit with this? And I think what I would say is um, what I taught today was trying to move away from that. And again, I, I would I would put the that tulip idea, I, I find it a little too extreme personally. And again, I know there are some people who don't. And I think categorically, that is the exact person who removes any and all re- of man's responsibility. That that in that moment, it is man has no responsibility. That God has chosen you before you're done, before you're born, before you did anything. The the limited atonement. So if you're in, you're going to get it. If you're not, you, you don't. The uh, uh, perseverance of the saints, like once you're, chosen you can't be unchosen like it literally undoes any of man's responsibility so for those who are hardcore calvinists who adhere to those five points there really isn't a space for any responsibility for man now to be fair there are many who are calvinists who would who would push back on what i'm saying and say yeah no 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 I still think you ought to do all of those things, but you do it out of obedience. Why do I go make disciples? It's not because I think man has any actual response responsibility in it, but I do it because I want to be obedient. And that that's better than saying I'll just sit home and God will do what God is going to do. But I would say I think that it's probably still a little too far Um, in removing any responsibility that man has in the salvation process. So I don't think it's compatible would be, I think that is part of the extreme on the Calvinist side. And I shared today the extreme on the Arminian side. And I think both of those uh, are trying to take something that is very complex and outside of our
0: purview and trying to simplify it um, a little too much. So then tell us just a little bit for the sake of context, if this is new information for anyone listening, this idea of tulip, like where did this thing come from? I think it's important to note, like what, where did Paul teach this in scripture? Where where did John, when did John talk about tulip? Yeah, that's... Not that's, John Calvin. Not, like yeah, apostles. it was
2: John Calvin. Right. So this was what the uh, 1600s uh, or 16th century. I can't remember. Was it? Yeah, the mm-hmm. 16th century. No, nope, 1600s. <clears throat> it was like, Google
1: it up. I it was think like it's,
0: 1618.
1: Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was around 1600s.
2: I think it was the 16th century. But you so Google that would it. be what? 1618?
1: There you go. So, so which one was it?
2: <laughs> I thought it was about 500 years ago. I thought the Protestant Reformation really kicked off about 500 well, years ago. Well, that's the
1: thing is Calvin never laid out really – the tulip. Yeah. They So that came along later as from him. Yes, yes.
2: Correct. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it didn't, it isn't a biblical thing and you're not going to find those things in scripture lined out. Here's T here's you. It's, it's a memorization technique, obviously using acrostic to help us memorize these points. Um, but yeah, there, there's not a concise place in scripture where you see these five things. Kind of laid out. They're just taking pieces of scripture, like we all do, and you see a truth here and a truth here, and how can we stack these together so that everybody can know them?
0: Yeah, for sure. I just wanted to make that distinction for anyone who this is a new uh, a new idea or concept for. It's not as if we're trying to compete with an idea that's very crystal clear and laid out in scripture. For sure, there are references. Any any good Calvinist would give you references for all of these things. Um, and many of them might even be the references you gave today, yeah. which is the interesting thing, right right so what we 're trying to do is again, rather than bringing our preconceived notions of doctrine to the text, like tulip right for yeah. many many of us that would have grown up in more of a reform bent or, or uh, congregation, uh, that might just be a preconceived notion. You may just have always heard of this thing, and this is what it is what we 're saying is say hey, pause and like here 's what the text is saying, and again that 's what we that 's all we want to do. we just want to teach the Bible so mm-hmm. Um, thanks for that uh, that distinction. We did have a couple of questions. I want to ask maybe two specific questions around this idea, and maybe it even lines up with the the P, right? The perseverance of the saints uh, in tulip. It's th- this idea of um, there's a couple of ideas, right? Eternal security. So like, once we're in, what's the deal there? Can I can I walk away, or will I just persevere by nature? That sort of thing. And really the one specific question, one of the specific questions we got about this idea is uh, if we stray away and decide to come back. So like I love Jesus, I walk away, I, I'm given over into my sin, and then someday, right, I say, hey, or the Holy Spirit moves in me in a way that, that tells me, hey, I want to come back. Can I?
2: 100%. I think we all do that
0: about Good
1: that was me 500 <laughs> times a day I, you're saying I'm like oh that's exactly what I did yeah, yeah. walked away the holy spirit came and was yeah. like are you done yes sir I'm done holy spirit <laughs> and now I'm on the path that I'm on yeah but I was there was no way I was a follower of Jesus <clears throat> like I I may have believed in Jesus yeah. but I was definitely not a follower and with when presented with the opportunity to repent thanks be to God that he had been gracious and my life wasn't so far gone that I had to, yeah. so many consequences. But yeah, definitely, right? I would think mm-hmm. probably you have somewhere in your oh, yeah. journey story that probably says the same thing as well, right?
0: Oh, yeah. But our uh, Calvinistic brothers would tell me that you never actually walked away. So I don't know what to say about that, Josh.
1: Oh, I did. <laughs> yeah, I did so <laughs> I know. Much. That's the crazy well, thing. I did so much that a guy was shocked that I even knew who God was. Yeah. That's the, that was the level of my depression. And I, before that, had preached sermons had told people about Jesus had been a part of conversations of helping affirm and move people along in their faith so very much I would say I had fruit in yeah. my life that showed I was a follower of Jesus and then in another season it was unrecognizable that I would even have known who God was yeah so I feel like yeah I think it can happen and you can come back if you repent.
2: Yeah. Now, with that, there is one caveat that we have to say out loud, okay? Um, here's a text in Romans chapter 6, I'm sorry, not Romans 6, Hebrews chapter 6, that does say there is a place, there is a line, there is a line of possibility that you can get to that there is no coming back from. 100%. Uh, totally, totally get where you're going with this. So this is Hebrews chapter six says, it is impossible. Pause for a second. That word impossible is the same word that he uses just a few verses later to say, it is impossible for God to lie. Same word, same chapter in the same way that God cannot lie. Like it is not possible. It, it, it doesn't mean improbable. It means impossible. This cannot happen. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. So, there is a line, this text says, that you have to understand. And the whole book of Hebrews, by the way, is one giant sermon. I'd highly encourage you to read It is one giant sermon that the writer of Hebrews is preaching to Jewish people. So he's, I'm sorry, to Jewish Christians. So these are people who have come out of Judaism, have started following Jesus, and it got really, really hard to follow Jesus. And so they're trying to decide now, We should just go back to being Jews like that worked for our ancestors for a thousand years. We should just go back and do that. Nobody's getting their heads cut off or thrown to the lions because they're a Jew. And so let's just go back to that. And the whole point of this is you can't turn back. You can't turn back. And this is about five ways here in this verses to talk about people who are in with Christ. They've been enlightened. They've tasted the heavenly gift. They've shared in the Holy Spirit, tasted the goodness of the word of God, the powers of the coming age. He says, if, if you've been in like that and you fall away, it's impossible to be brought back to repentance. So, and then he gives this warning at the end. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, that produces a crop useful for those useful, For those for whom it is farmed, they receive the blessing of God. So think about land, rain coming down on it, it produces some wheat, that's good. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. In this picture, the grace of God, the Word of God is that picture of that rain, and it's falling, and we are the land. And the question is, when that rain continues to fall, the land is drinking in the rain, of the grace of God and the word of God, the land drinks in that rain falling on it, and it produces a crop. If it's producing good crop, fruit, then then that is the blessing of God. But if you're receiving the word of God and the blessing of God and the grace of God, and your life is only producing thorns and thistles, he says, but that land, that land produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed in the end, it will be burned. It's a picture of eternal damnation. So that's the warning. So there is a place in scripture that says, look, this is not something you play with. This is not something you mess around with. You you don't allow yourself to get to the place where you say, I'll just play over in this area over for a while. I'll Mm -hmm. kind of put my faith on the shelf and go do my own thing and and I'll come back to it later. He says, look, there, there's a point that you can go where you won't come back. And again, it's not even because you can't come back. I don't think it's even because you can't. I think it's because you won't. Like your heart, as we talked about this morning, will become hard and you won't mm-hmm.
0: care anymore. And you will just simply walk away. And it's a, a very similar picture um, to what we learned in Romans chapter 4, 3. Uh, right, when Paul's talking about them being given over to the yeah. selfish desire. Yeah. Like, you let go of the rope, yeah, they were on that side of the, yep. right, on that side of the mud pit anyways, you let go of the rope, they fell right in. Yeah. Now, can they can they come back from that? Yeah. So yeah, 100% see that there is, and the hard part, right, is we don't, <laughs> where's the line, Jason? Yeah, we don't know. And we don't so know the line. We
2: never want to assume that somebody has crossed that line. Right, of course. We want to always keep pressing in and praying over them and for them and sharing the gospel with them and praying. Uh, I love how Ephesians talks about it. Pray that God will grant them repentance. Uh, Ephesians 6, I believe, is one. Pray that God would grant them repentance. Like, we want that for people. So we don't ever assume up until the last moment of someone's last breath, we we can't make the call of whether they've crossed that line or not, and so we never want to be those people. But the But there is a warning in Scripture, and the warning is, don't go. Don't go that way. don't Don't move in that direction, um, because there is a line that you can't
1: you can't cross back from. Well, speaking of the perseverance piece, because kind of what we're talking about too, uh, verses eleven and twelve in that Hebrews passage, um, we want you we want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end, so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We don't want you to become lazy but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Like it keeps going, like, hey, keep working, keep going, keep driving. So the opposite of, hey, you walked away, it's, hey, he says, but we're not speaking to to you brothers like this. We we want you brothers to keep that faith and keep going and and keep working out your faith. Don't be lazy because there is something in there. You got to keep uh, striving for, you know, sanctification. And so again, it's, the warning is there, but then it's the promise. If, yeah. if you keep working at it again, so I think maybe that's the eternal security or I keep thinking blessed assurance. We were singing that in earlier. <laughs> can't get it out of my head, but that assurance is like, if I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, like if somebody asks me, Hey, are you in Josh? 100%. There's no question in my mind. I'm in. I don't even doubt. I don't wonder. I don't struggle with that. You know, we've talked about that before, but like, Because I'm trying to live out what I'm called to live out. But on the backside is when you were talking about the grace piece today too. Like I get that it is God's grace that has allowed me to experience this. And I am overwhelmed and blown away. I don't deserve it. I have done nothing good. Yet God in his infinite love for me allows me an opportunity to be a worker in his kingdom. Hallelujah and thank you. And so I just keep working at it. And it's not out of... uh, because I feel like I have to it's because I'm like, man, I, he's just been so good to me. I, I can't not do this. And but I, so I just keep working at it. And it's not perfect. And there are days, some days are great. Some days are not great. And some days I'm fully aware of my sin. And I'm like, gosh, I should have known this by now. What is wrong with me? But I just keep working at it and keep striving to grow and be more and more like Jesus. And so that's how, I don't know if I force my assurance, but I just like, I just know, like I'm doing what he's calling me to do and I'm confessing and having people call me out and stuff. And so I feel like doing what God tells you in his word builds up that assurance. Maybe like I, sure. You're walking by the presence.
2: It comes back to what we talked about in Romans eight, right? That the spirit testifies to our spirit that we are God's children. There is that inward. And again, the outward piece is you're producing that fruit. And so, both of those things, there's an inward and there's an outward. Am, am I growing in my obedience? That is the work of God. We're not going to grow in obedience to Christ without the work of the Spirit in us. And so that's where our assurance comes from. It comes from the work of the Spirit that we see in us. Uh, the scriptures, Paul specifically says, it is the Spirit that is the deposit guarantee in your inheritance. Like, it is that Spirit in you, that is God stamping your life, saying this one 's mine, like there, and when that spirit is at work in us, transforming us that 's where our assurance should come from. It should not come from well, I got wet one day at Bible camp when I was eight that That is not our assurance, or I raised my hand one time when the pastor said the thing that should not be the basis of our assurance, our assurance is. The Spirit is alive in me. He's moving me to holiness. So he's transforming me, helping me put sin to death. And there's this inward working, that's what you're describing, yeah. that I just know that the Holy Spirit is testifying to my spirit that I am God's son.
1: And I do know there's some people who may have grown up maybe more in a, a works-based religion, mm-hmm. uh, You know, even some of our Catholic yeah. friends who I think maybe do, when you were talking about, today I'm in... And then at noon I'm out, and then three p.m. I've said my forgiveness. But man, six p.m. I got hit by the bus. What happened? Because I sinned yeah. between three and six. Yeah. So there are people I think who are oh, sitting I there have going, "Totally been in that camp." I mean that that's my.
2: You guys know I struggle with this assurance piece. This is the piece that I struggle with the most. I'm always like, oh, "I'm done." I'm. I feel like Paul. I feel like I'm going to be the guy. I worry. I'm like, I'm the guy It's going to be up here proclaiming the gospel and get disqualified somewhere along the way for not somehow having enough faith, whatever that looks like. So this piece I struggle with. And that was kind of the mindset that I had all of my growing up years. I mean, I had real fear every night that I've forgotten to ask forgiveness for one of the specific sins that I knew I did. And I would just forget to say, and God was checking the list and he asked forgiveness for those 19, but he forgot these other three. And so mm-hmm. I can't forgive him. And then I was going to be done. So I, when I shared that today, I was speaking from my own. How'd you move past that? What helped
0: you? I don't know. That- <laughs> <laughs> I knew you shouldn't ask. Oh. That as soon as you started talking. <laughs> oh no, man. But it, it's- <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, look again, part of it is we come to the place where we recognize God is sovereign. And so this is where it comes from that, that God is sovereign. And do I see the work of the spirit in my life? So uh for those of you who might be like me and you struggle with the perseverance piece, here's I would I would recommend go read first John. Like literally, it's five chapters. It will take you 15 minutes. Okay. It's very, very uh short and succinct. But throughout the book of First John, there's about five, six, seven times that, that John writes this same phrase. We know that we've passed from death to life because we love each other. Uh, we know, we know uh, the world does not know us any more than it knew him, but we can know. We are made known, and we are known when Christ appears. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know the truth. Like, he wants us to know. This is how we know who the children of God are. That's chapter 3, verse 10. He wants us to know without a doubt. uh, Chapter 2, verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Like, the whole book is about you can know. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to guess. You don't have to be in this state of confusion. First John gives us many, many ways to know. Uh, so here's another one. 1 uh, John chapter 2, verse 6. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Again, you just see this word over. And I would just encourage you as you read through it, just circle it. Just circle it. Just circle the word know every time. You'll have about 20. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. We know that we are the children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. Like you just, this word just pops up over and over because John wants us to know. So that would be a big help for me. You look at these and you see these filters and say, Do these things speak to my life? Not perfectly, but is there progress? It's not perfection, it's progress. Am I being transformed by the Spirit? Then you know this is God at work. Let me give you one more. This is chapter 4, verse 13. This is how we know that we live in Him and He in us. He has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the savior of the world, like you can, you can just make a list of these and say, "Are these things
0: true of me?" That's how you know. Yeah, that's good. Um, really, and we've got one more here that kind of piggybacks off that. It's a similar question as that last one that maybe we can elaborate on a little bit more. Uh, here's a question: um, What about mental illness or people with an inability? to choose. Um, the context is I struggle with someone in my life who once was a strong Christian, but has since, uh, walked away seemingly due to, uh, due to mental illness. They're not able to maybe make a choice like this in their life. Could this be uh, a way of God hardening their hearts? And is there any way to tell? It's a hard question. What, what's your thought on it?
2: Um, no, I don't think there's a way for us to tell. Um, so let's try to break this down into, into more general ideas. Let's, there's the mental illness piece, and I think that we would all agree that, that God is merciful. Again, we looked at it in our text today. God is full of compassion. He is, first off, merciful, and I do not believe that God would hold someone to account beyond their emotional or mental capabilities. So I would, I would have very um, little concern about, I've got a, a, um, mentally handicapped cousin. Uh, she is probably in her fifties now. So she was a few years older than me. I don't, I'm not concerned for her. I feel like again, God is merciful, and He's going to meet her where she is. So I, I, I'm that piece. I'm not, I'm not concerned. The part about God hardening our hearts through sin is that possible? The answer is is yes. I mean, that's what we see throughout Scripture. It's what we see with Pharaoh. It's what we see with Judas. I mean, it is. We make these decisions, and God hands us over to our decisions. Could that be? Does that mean there's no coming back? And again, I think this is this is a difficult piece. Um, I think about the Apostle Paul. There's a couple of instances. So 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there's this story of a guy in the church who is sinning sexually, and we're going to call it his stepmom just so we all keep our breakfast, okay? It says he's having relations with his father's wife. So we're just, we're just going to assume it's the stepmom, okay, just for the sake of supper. Okay, so he's having sexual relations, and the church is standing back and saying, oh, well, grace, grace covers all sin. It's all good. And Paul's like, no, are you kidding me? This is disgusting. You're doing things that even the pagans in the culture won't do. And Paul in that moment says, here's what we need to do. We're going to hand this man over to Satan, for the destruction of his flesh so that we can save his soul. Like there has to be this place to whereby we're going to we're going to let him feel the full weight and the consequence of his sin in the hopes that it brings him to repentance. So the fact that he got handed over to Satan was the attempt by Paul and the church to help him feel the pain and the weight of his sin so much that it drove him back to grace. So does it necessarily mean that, that they've been hardened beyond return? And I think that's no. And again, we can't assume that it could be that God's just letting them feel the full weight of their consequences in the hopes that it actually
1: turns their hearts back to him when they feel the full weight of their decision. And does it, the second Corinthians, he and comes he back. That's right. Because Paul was like, "Okay, he's let him back." That's he, right. He's
2: repented. He, yeah. The, the <laughs> Second Corinthians, the church then takes Paul so seriously and said, "We're gonna punish this guy." You're right, Paul. This guy's terrible. And the guy had repented. And Paul's like, "Now let him up. Like, come on, oh stop my gosh, kicking. guys. <laughs> <laughs> Don't <laughs> kick him while he's down. He did the thing. It worked. We sent him out. He felt the weight. He's repented. He's coming back. And I love him again." So yeah. yes, it did work yeah. in that sense instance.
1: Yeah. yeah, that's good. I think part of it too is is we kind of touched on it today. We're so linear in our thinking, and so I, I don't know um, God's decision today for Josh how it ends up fifteen years from now. So I, so for that decision, we don't know if that Paul saying hey let him out let him experience it if that was the consequence that God knew would change him. That's not how God God interprets time. God is sitting on a hill and looks down and sees all the decisions at once. None of them were a surprise to him. He he grasped every single decision, and we just cannot see that way. I only usually see the linear of A equals B. Now, hindsight allows me to look back and see, oh, that decision— led to that decision, which ended up that way. If it's good, I should probably do that again. Or if it's bad, I should not do that again. But I can't look ahead to know what those decisions are being impacted by this thing today. So again, that's the difference with God is he sees past, present, and future all at the same time. And nothing catches him by surprise. And we just are so finite we, we cannot make that make sense in our brain. I think that's why we struggle with this yeah. is because it's like, I only know A equals B. And God's like, I know Z, man. I got Like, I got all this. Yeah. And it, he's not caught off guard. And again, I just think nothing surprises him. And he knows exactly what he's determined and what free choices I'm going to make all at the same time. And they don't contradict one another for him.
2: Yeah. And so, yeah, a couple of things. Again, God by nature is outside of time. I think that is so important for us to to understand. He is outside of time. Jesus being crucified and my sins that are happening 25 years from now, if I'm still alive, those are both in God's presence. Like, it, we think about one in the past and one in the future. This is one of those places where we begin to understand where God says a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. Like, they're all right in front. They're all present in the moment with God. That's why he can say he knows the end from the beginning. He knows our first day and he knows our last day. Now, this is where the Armenians would say, okay, that's true, and this is why, this is why, it is not that God predetermines everything, but, but God does know everything, and he can base off of that choice. And again, I think we can go to extremes on that as well. But let's go back to Romans chapter 8, because we got this question a few weeks ago, and we punted it because we knew Romans 9 was coming. But we got this question, Romans chapter 8, where it says in verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. And people will often want to jump onto verse 30 and utilize verse 30. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he he glorified, but they neglect the one that comes before predestined, which is found in verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined. So in this instance, that there is a argument to be made that, it, that before there was any predestination, there was a foreknowledge. God knew something. He knew what was going to happen, which led him to predestine and call and glorify. Like, but we they don't we often leave out that forenew piece but it's the forenew that actually led to the predestined piece so an armenian would argue it's that foreknowledge that god saw your josh he saw your change in college that there was going to be a day and again that day is as present before him as today as is next week as is 10 years from now And he knew that when that moment come and the Holy Spirit said, Josh, are you done? That you would say, yep, I'm done, and I'm ready to surrender. And it's that foreknowledge piece that it's not just God arbitrarily picked, but he had some foreknowledge. Again, I don't hear me saying that God is not sovereign. I gave you 15 verses today that shows that he is. We just have to hold these two things in tension, that there is knowledge, there is predestination. There is our responsibility. We can't undo any of these. We just got to hold our theology of it loosely and not try to uh, mandate that everybody think of this in the same way that I do.
1: Yeah. Even my, again, my own story, it was, there's no reason I should have been there sitting there with that Bible in my hand. No reason, except that God got me there. Yeah. And presented me with an opportunity to walk out different and wasn't anything that i did because i deserve none of that and i again i shouldn't even have been there there's no reason for me to have been at that thing i even talked to the youth minister who let me go he goes i don't know why i let you go i just was like "Ah, i guess he's like but something told me he was like something just was in me i was like yeah just let him go it'll be fine and but he was like my first thought was like no way you shouldn't have gone you shouldn't even have been there right there was i didn't i i didn't have any money like there was no reason God made it happen. When I look back and go, all of these things he did. Hmm. And two, it was in that moment that it was like, will you do this thing? I had that responsibility to finally, and then it was a, spent been a lifetime of, of responsibility, but God, for sure, he got me into that place, into that moment. And I don't know how he did it, but he knew, right? Yeah. He knew it was going to happen. And he,
2: He was sovereign over that moment. He was, yeah, and
1: he just did it, and it was no working of Josh. And so again, it wasn't like I made God work on my behalf because I got myself there. Not at all. Like it didn't happen that way at all.
0: Yeah. Well, what a good way to uh, end our conversation. All right, guys, thank you. We'll uh, talk again real soon. All right. Well, that is a wrap on episode twenty-eight of the Gospel for Everyone podcast. We're so glad uh, that you came and joined us for this episode and followed it all the way through. As always, if you have any questions or comments from any of our Sunday messages, we do encourage you to join us at quadcity.church Romans, where you can submit your questions to be answered right here on the show. Well, we do hope this episode was helpful to you in your walk with Jesus and obedience to his word. And we can't wait to see you again next time.